0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On July 22nd, presidential candidate
1: Senator Amy Klobuchar sat down with the Washington Post Live to talk about the issues driving her campaign and how she plans to stand out in the crowded Democratic field. Let's
0: listen. Good morning. Hello. I'm I'm Bob Costa, national political reporter here at the Washington Post. Thanks so much for joining us this morning for another post-live 2020 conversation. And thank you so much, Senator Klobuchar, for being here this morning. Well, thank you, Bob. Taking some time off the campaign trail. Senator Klobuchar, we cover her on Capitol Hill and on the campaign trail now, of course. Former prosecutor from Minnesota, U.S. senator, now running for president. You're facing a lot of tough questions, not only as a candidate, but as a U.S. senator. Big issues in the world. One of them right now is Iran escalating tensions. Would you support military intervention? Uh,
1: Not at this time. Uh, I think that if the president was at all serious about that, you always leave everything on the table. But if he was serious about that, he has to come before Congress for an authorization of military force uh, instead of relying on the past authorization of military force, which goes way back to 9-11 and involved al-Qaeda. Um, which isn't an issue here. So that would be my first response to that. My second uh, is that we didn't have to be where we are today with the news this morning that uh, 17 people, uh, Iran claims uh, that they have arrested and that they're gonna put to death for what they claim claim are CIA con- uh, connections or the fact that a British tanker uh, was, uh, the crew was taken hostage. Um, we wouldn't have to be there if he had simply stayed in the Iranian nuclear agreement. For so long, Our uh, major, one of our major focuses of US foreign policy was to make sure that Iran didn't get a nuclear weapon. That's why we reached that agreement. It may not have been perfect, uh, but it was something that needed to be done to make sure that we achieved that goal and kept people safe. Uh, instead, he decided uh, to leave basically our European allies holding the bag gave leverage to China and Russia, got out of the agreement, and claimed that he was gonna make us safer and that he would get a better deal. Instead, where are we now? Uh, 17 people allegedly arrested, a crew taken hostage, uh, and as we speak, uh, Iran blowing the caps uh, when it comes to uranium enrichment. So uh, what would I do? I would work to renegotiate ourselves back into that agreement.
0: As part of the renegotiation, if you would re-enter the agreement as president, but before that, right now, should sanctions be relieved to try to de-escalate the tensions?
1: Um, Well, right now, I think that if I were to go back in it, there's things you'd like to change with some of the sunset time periods and things like that. Um, But I don't think you want to take the sanctions that are in place on uh, the... uh, that we had in place already on missiles and things like that. But what I do think that we need to do um, is to look at how... Uh, we can de-escalate things diplomatically. And I'm not, because what I'm talking about here are some of the other sanctions that we've had in place for a long time, which supplemented that agreement because it didn't get at, of course, our other terrorist activity.
0: Speaking of diplomacy, as president, would you try to directly negotiate with the Iranian leadership?
1: I think it depends on the circumstances. Uh, we are, um, of course, better when we work with our allies. We're stronger when we work With our allies, which is something that this president doesn't seem to get. Um, And he sort of has this go it alone attitude, which, in my mind, has not enhanced our security uh, internationally or certainly not enhanced our reputation internationally. And what we need when we need help from people, you want to stand with your allies and show that you can do it.
0: One final thing on Iran you're on the inside, inside the U.S. Senate. Based on your conversations with top officials, your colleagues, is the U.S. headed toward military intervention?
1: Um, there are, we've had some briefings on this that are classified, so I can't go through them, but we're always concerned with this president that at any moment uh, he could just decide to do something, uh, and certainly he's um, sent some. Um, more troops uh, over to the Mideast uh, because of this escalating crisis. But again, uh, we have been very firm in our belief uh, that he, including some Republicans, uh, that if he's going to take any action, uh, he has to get, you get an authorization of military force.
0: The president continues to attack four minority women, members of Congress, freshman members of Congress. One of them is from your state, Representative Omar. Are you close to her politically? Are you friendly
1: with her? I know her um, pretty well. She was a legislator in our state. Uh, We have some disagreements politically. I've made that clear. Uh, But that really isn't what the issue is right now. Uh, The issue is uh, that he has chosen uh, to go after four uh, women elected members of Congress. He has chosen uh, to tell them they should go home, basically, uh, which is a uh, racist... Uh, code word in my mind, and he has specifically singled her out. She is, by the way, a mother of three children, uh, one of them quite young. Um, She, I don't know if she has security right now, um, but she in the past has had serious enough threats against her that a man went to prison. So my immediate concern for her um, is her safety. Uh, The second thing is that we stand up and call this out for what it is. Uh, When he stood basking in that chant, um, send her home, uh, he didn't stop that chant. Um, And two things that came to my mind. The first was when John McCain was in my state in Minnesota and someone said something uh, racist about Barack Obama uh, at at a, a town hall meeting right before the election was coming up. McCain put a stop to it and said, no, that's not true. He's a good man. We may disagree. Why don't your that Republican happened.
0: colleagues do that anymore? I,
1: I don't know, but they have not done that. You should ask them. Um, I think it's because they don't want to piss him off, so if I could be blunt. <laughs> I'm known as being blunt, so um, that's what it is. Okay,
0: so— We welcome that here today.
1: Thank you, yes. Okay, then uh, the second thing about this, beyond her security, um, beyond um, that we should be standing up clearly against this, not just Democrats— Um, But there's really two more things to learn from this. The first is that when he says this thing, it infiltrates uh, through our society. Uh, at a point where we are already so fractured, it's so dangerous, and it's one of the reasons that I'm running for president, uh, because I think we should be moving to a higher plane in our politics. and America is bigger than this. Uh, illustration of this was during the height of his rhetoric during the campaign in 2016. I heard the story of a Minnesota family of four. The parents had been in our state through 9-11 and had not experienced discrimination. As you remember, President Bush stood up and said, we shouldn't be taking this out on all people from this region or on Muslims. He very clearly said this. Um, And people took it to heart. I remember I was the prosecutor at the time, and I went with the U.S. attorney and met with our Muslim community to make it clear that we were going to protect them from hate crimes. Now, let's fast forward to 2016. Donald Trump's running for office. The rhetoric's all over there. And what happens to this family of four? They go out to dinner, and they're at a normal restaurant. This guy walks by and looks down at them and says, you four go home. Exact same words. You four go home. You go home to where you came from. And this little girl looks up at her mom, and she says, Mom, I don't want to eat dinner at home tonight. You said we could eat out tonight. Hmm. You think of the words of that innocent child. She only knows one home. And that's my state. She only knows one home. That's the United States of America. So we have to remember that when he says these things, it's not just one person saying them. That's why that chant was so significant. He passes that on. He condones that kind of rhetoric. And the final and last thing that is, to me, the most important uh, is that he does this to distract people from what I hope we're gonna talk about in our remaining time. (laughs) And that is the issues before us. I have a a quote from Toni Morrison that actually um, Congresswoman Omar put on her Twitter feed. And it says, the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work, right? And that is what he's doing. And we just have to remember that every day it's a trap. Yes, you stand up, But you have to acknowledge that it's a trap because he doesn't want to talk about the broken promises and the 10,000 plus lies uh, that this newspaper has documented, the broken promises littering the carpet of the Oval Office. He doesn't want to talk about that because uh, that is because that's what really makes the people that voted for him that aren't the ones at the rallies. That's what makes them step back and think, hmm. Maybe I should vote for someone else. This is the pharmaceutical prices that have been escalating and going through the roof. Uh, This is the fact that he hasn't done anything on infrastructure when he promised it. This fact what we just talked about on Iran. Um, So it's really important, as hurtful as what he says is, to respond, but then to remind people why he's doing it. It is not just to rally up his base.
0: It's to distract from other issues. If you were the Democratic presidential nominee... Would you invite Congresswoman Omar to speak at the Democratic National Convention? Oh,
1: I even thought through that. I think you should have many voices at the convention, and I think that'll be something our party and our um, uh, will decide, but I would think we'll have many voices. We always have had Including speak hers. at the convention. I think well, I'm not going to extend invitations to people. If only I will have that power, and then I will make that decision. I wouldn't commit to anyone speaking right now. Um, at the Democratic Convention, so... Well, except Barack Obama.
0: <laughs> you said the Democrats should focus on policy, but what should they do to counter President Trump, if anything, on race, if he's going to put that at the fore of the campaign?
1: I think, again, we have to firmly stand up against racism. After Charlottesville, when he says there's two sides, uh, when the other side is a Ku Klux Klan, uh, no, there's not two sides. So that's the first thing. The second... Um, is taking on the issues uh, that uh, will combat racism and not just the rhetoric of racism, but the actual economic injustices of racism. Uh, And I would start with voting, right? How can you have economic justice and fairness if people can't even exercise their their right to vote? Uh, And that means everything from uh, the voter suppression that we're seeing across the country, the fact that in the state of Georgia, Uh, If the secretary of state, who was the candidate for governor, hadn't withheld 58,000 voter registrations because of things like hyphens in names, uh, that Stacey Abrams would most likely be governor today of the state of Georgia. Um, So it is reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act, which I will push for as president, used to be a bipartisan endeavor. Uh, secondly, looking at innovative ways to make it easier for people to vote, same day registration. We know those states that have it. By the way, some are red states, right? Some are like Iowa, that has two uh, Republican centers. I think they have same day, but they have more open voting laws. Um, you've got oh, uh, Maine and New Hampshire. Some of these states that have made it easier to vote, they're not always pure blue states. I just want to make that clear. But what they have in common is they have high voter turnout, whether they're red, purple, or blue, like my own state. Same day voting registration, uh, looking at um, um, passing my bill, which says that every kid, when they're eligible to vote, should be automatically registered when they turn 18. Uh, This is a country that we have the highest level of technology Everyone gets their social security numbers. People, once they pass their driver's test, gets their driving license. Why can't we do the same with voting registration? Uh, So things like that. Uh, Taking the dark money out of politics by passing a constitutional amendment uh, to overturn Citizens United. Um, Looking at the whole panoply of things available to us to do when it comes to elections. Um, I think that's the first thing. The second is just um, policies. Uh, It is the African-American. Uh, community and the immigrant community uh, that is most hurt uh, when things are done with uh, cuts to programs with heating or cuts to programs uh, when it comes to um, uh, helping people with education. Um, And so looking at how we can make that more fair is by simply um, advancing an economic agenda Uh, that's about opportunity and not chaos. To me, that means from cradle to grave, right? It starts with early childhood and the fact that kids that know more words do better in school. And so that's all-day kindergarten, and that is a better preschool. Uh, That's um, work-family leave, and that is child care. Then you go into school and making sure our public schools are better funded and our teachers are paid. And then you go into the college level and making sure uh, that we make that more affordable, especially with one and two year degrees where there's so many openings, so many kids that have gone off the grid that could get back on the grid uh, with, with uh, getting those degrees and then move on to a four year degree. My sister did that. She never graduated from high school. Uh, she went and got her GED years later and then got enough confidence to get her uh, a two-year community college degree and from there got a degree in accounting. My dad got a two-year community college degree. Uh, So I'm someone that kind of has lived that world and understands it um, in my heart uh, how important it is to understand uh, that in communities of color and really all of the country there are many paths to success.
0: Robert Mueller is testifying on Capitol Hill this week. You're a member of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. What should Democrats ask him about the attorney general, William Barr? Mm -hmm. Hmm. So I
1: think the first thing that, well, I want, okay, I have my own selfish thing I want asked.
0: What's that? (laughs) Well, it's
1: it's related to William Barr because at the end of our uh, hearing with Barr, at the very end, I think he was kind of tired. And I went in with like one of the last questions. It was my second round of questions. And I asked if Director Mueller and his team had looked at the tax returns and the financial documents. And Barr said, well, you'll have to ask him. And I go, OK, are you going to make him available then to come here so you don't know? And he said, no, you got to ask him. Well, we still aren't seeing him in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, but I very much hope that someone asks that question. And it's related to Barr because the House members, who if they're listening right now, uh, they will be able to cite that part of the transcript. So hopefully that question will be asked. Um, I think that there should be questions about what he was told about, how he could roll out his report and everything that happened with the summary, which he clearly had some issues with. When you look at the letter that Mueller later sent saying uh, about that summary and the characterizations of his report, I think that's important, especially journalists will thrive on if there was some kind of an attempt to squelch Mueller. But I think the real core, Bob, of what needs to be looked at here is, of course, questions about the obstruction of justice pieces of this. Uh, Oh, questions about, now this is a good journalist one, about when these things can be declassified, his views on that. I have been able to see only uh, the um, volume of the report about obstruction, because I'm on the Judiciary Committee. I've been able to see those parts of the classified, which was I found interesting. And so I hope that everyone will be able to see them. I think they are waiting for these trials to be done uh, involving um, some of the people that have been indicted. But I think it's very important people see that. I have not even seen the volume of the report. Despite all the work I've done on elections in Russia, I've not been allowed to see the classified piece of that report. Only the people on the Intelligence Committee, which is crazy to me. Uh, have been able to see that, even though I'm leading the bill on the Secure Election Act, the Honest Ads Act. I'm on the Why Judiciary that? Committee. That was the rules that we got from the Department of Justice. And I went in there and saw the pieces that I could see on volume, I think it's volume two. Uh, volume one is the Russia thing. If I've got them reversed, then you know, give me Pinocchios. But I think that's right. So, But the Russia piece of it had the most redacted, right? And um, that is the thing that we could most do something about right away, because we should be um, putting in place rules of the road on the propaganda, especially the paid ads, when three to four billion is forecast to be spent three to four billion, on social media, company I emphasize company ads, because they're for-profit companies. Um, and they should have to reveal those ads, and not just voluntarily in all their crazy ways, in a set way and also, of course, backup paper ballots. Why does that matter? If Mueller could have a chance to really go through what Russia did in a way that's understandable to people and that they don't have to plow through a report of which all these pages are redacted, um, I think that that's gonna help us to advance the cause to get something done immediately.
0: You just mentioned your work on election safety. Mm -hmm. Are the ballots for 2020, the US election voting system, is it vulnerable? to interference in 2020, and to what extent? Yes, I think it
1: is. I think there's some good work going on, like uh, General Nagasoni over at the uh, Defense Department, Minnesota, born, um, and many others are really tried diligently. But what I hate about this story, despite people of patriotic people trying to protect our elections, is what's happening at the top. Um, and we know now from the Mueller report, it wasn't just 20-some states. They tried to hack into the equipment in 50 states. Um, in Mueller's report, he said they were doing it in a sweeping and systematic fashion. If that's not enough for you, Christopher Wray, the FBI director, who I'll get to question uh, tomorrow, so that'll be good. Um, uh, Christopher Wray said that it was a dress rehearsal, 2018, for 2020. Dan Coats, uh, the president's director of intelligence, um, has said the Russians are getting bolder, right? And you also have other interests that might try to hack in. So I think it's a scary time. Um, and I, don't, I hate that 14 or so states, don't either, they either have partial or no backup paper ballots. New Jersey has no. So if you had a close presidential race, they hack into a few counties in one state, we have chaos. Uh, which is something the president seems to like, and so I cannot stand that they stopped our Secure Election Act, which was a bipartisan bill. Uh, Lankford, Klobuchar—it's not like Do Lankford you blame Don is,
0: McGahn, the former White House counsel, for that. Uh, yes, I, no, I blame the
1: White House. I think he was the um, uh, he was the uh, person that made the calls and claimed he was doing it personally, seriously. What does that mean? He's, I don't know. You're the White House counsel, and he called Republicans. Um, and then also Mitch McConnell did not want that bill to advance. That is despite the fact that Richard Burr was on the bill, Lindsey Graham was on the bill, um, and they stopped it in its tracks, and not only that, they've stopped the Honest Ads Act, which is requires this public... Uh, airing of what these ads are, just like the Washington Post or ABC or CNN would have to explain what the ads are and who's paying for them. Not true of but our why? friends in the social when media When you're talking world. to
0: your colleagues in the Senate, the Republicans, mm-hmm. and you ask why is this being stopped, what do they tell you privately?
1: Oh, they don't. They're embarrassed by it. I think they know it should go forward. I think they. Some of them have said that McConnell doesn't want it to go forward. Yes, uh... some of them, you know. I, I don't know how they can explain. We, I mean, why even go to the Senate if you actually are allowing elections to be corrupted? Why would you want it? it, it may, either a political party could be either side or a um, foreign government or criminal element. Why would you not want to protect our democracy from paid ads that are bought in rubles or paid ads that have fake videos, which is going to be the next thing. That Nancy Pelosi thing was a just a little taste of what we're going to be seeing, that, that, that doctored video on the presidential level and in the Senate campaigns and House campaigns, where you're not even going to be able to tell if videos are real. Or the paid ad uh, that was sent out with a woman, an innocent woman's face, African-American woman, from Chicago in the 2016 Hillary race, her face, and it said, why stand in line? It was paid for in rubles, targeted on African-American pages in swing states. Why stand in line to vote for Hillary? You can text your vote that's, at 831 That's 1, not legal. 2, 5. That's illegal. But they can't, you know. They know it's paid for. So rubric- should
0: social media companies and tech companies be be social utilities, be public utilities, to pr- in order to protect election? Laws? I
1: think we need a huge overhaul of how we're regulating them. Right? We need privacy laws in place. We need election laws in place. They just cannot get by anymore with saying, "Oh, we're just so cool. It's like the internet of ideas, and you can put on your cat videos." When they are actually playing a major role in disrupting our election. So why not have them be publicly regulated? Well, they should be regulated, and we're, we have a number of ideas of how we can do it, but there doesn't seem to be a will to do it if it's benefiting certain people that want to have dirty ads run on their platforms.
0: We're talking about the 2020 election and the result. One final thought. Some Democrats worry that President Trump might not concede. Do you have confidence that if he's defeated, he will concede and leave?
1: Um, I, think, I think he will concede. I think it will be much benefited if we have a mandate in a huge election so he can't mess around with people's heads about the election. So that's just the more votes uh, that are in there to defeat him, the better off we are, and then we won't cross that
0: bridge. When you jumped into this presidential race, you said you were a progressive. You've been a progressive in the Senate. Progressive and progressive. Well, that's well no, I think it's well, important. F- I think you want But f- have- you also said you're a pragmatist. Yeah. Is your party moving too far to the left right now in this presidential race? We have a lot of voices
1: in our party. We are not the party where one man, as in the Republican side, Donald Trump, says, how high can you jump? And everyone says, oh, maybe I'll jump as high as I can. They they, they just go as whatever he wants right now they're doing. We are a party that has different views. That's what happens when you uh, include more people in America. And we've always been that way. Um, So I am void by what happened in 2018, where people came together in our party and were joined by independents and moderate Republicans. Don't forget that coalition, where you think, how did we win the governorship of Kansas with a woman candidate, Laura Kelly. But they uh, weren't Pete all Chris running on Medicare Oba. for all. I know, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm just leading with the positive. I'm kind of a happy warrior. And looking at, looking at the proof here is that we came together. We elected more women than ever before. We elected more people of color than ever before. And we won in states that no one thought we could. And if you don't believe me, four words, former Governor Scott Walker, all right? So, OK. Me, I can only speak to my views on these things. So my views on these have been very clear from the beginning. I have not vacillated. Uh, I am someone that believes we need to improve on our health care. We need to reduce costs for our health care. And there are many ways we need to do it. Uh, And the first is that we should build on the Affordable Care Act. By the way, we could immediately do something with cost sharing and reinsurance, which doesn't exactly fit on a cool bumper sticker, Uh, but it is something that there is a bipartisan bill and it's been proven to work in many states. But the big ticket item is to have a public option, and you can do it with Medicaid, you can do it with Medicare. And no, I don't believe we should kick half of America off their private insurance in four years, which is exactly very clearly what that bill says, uh, the Medicare for All bill. At the same time, um, I don't think uh, that it is an incremental step to go to a public option. I think that is a bold step. It's something that President Obama wanted to do, and it is a way uh, that we could bring costs down from, for everyone by having an option for them to buy into. The other big-ticket item that no one has dealt with under Democratic or Republican administrations is taking on pharmaceutical prices. And I have led on that since I have gone to the Senate. Uh, The vote on bringing uh, less expensive drugs from Canada, that was a Klobuchar-Sanders amendment. Uh, The bill to allow for unleashing the bargaining power of 43 million seniors so they can get less expensive uh, prices under Medicare, that's a bill that I've led uh, for years. Um, And Pharma thinks they own Washington. Uh, They have two lobbyists for every member of Congress. Uh, They don't own me. Uh, And I think this is way past time to work on. So I'm actually really excited about this. A president herself can actually order, uh, can actually apply for a waiver to lift the ban on bringing in less expensive drugs from other countries. Imagine the competitive impact. Uh, You can stop pay for delays, a bill that Grassley and I have had for years uh, that would stop Big Pharma from paying off generics to keep their products off the market. Uh, they know there's change ahead, but it's going to become much firmer and stronger if I leave the ticket. And v- Vice President right-
0: Biden has proposed adding a public option to the current law. Mm-hmm. What makes your plan different?
1: No, you should ask him what makes his plan different than me, because I came in first. Um, so... Um, I think I am open to doing it two ways. Uh, One is with Medicaid and one is with Medicare. Uh, One is a uh, Brian Schatz bill that I'm a co-sponsor of, um, which is interesting. It's using Medicaid, which people aren't talking about a lot. Uh, Medicaid already covers people of all ages. Um, It, as you know, already allows for negotiation of prescription drugs. Uh, so it could be an interesting option. His, Brian's um, bill right now does it on the exchange, so <clears throat> that would be one way. The other way to do it is outside of the exchange um, so that anyone can buy into it. We're not just talking about people who qualify for the Affordable Care Act. That is a plan that Tim Kaine and Michael Bennett have that I'm a co-sponsor of, and that would allow for buying into Medicare, so that's another way you can do it.
0: When you're my... talking to voters on the campaign trail and they say they like your style of politics, uh, as you say, you call yourself a proven progressive and who also is a pragmatist. They say, well, we also like Vice President <clears throat> Biden. If they're choosing between you and Vice President Biden, what's your pitch to them? What sets mm-hmm. you apart? Big sure. picture from VP Biden. OK,
1: so uh, the first is that I'm from the Midwest. Uh, And if any, uh, the one thing that really unites uh, our party right now is that we want to win. And everyone knows in 2016, uh, we had some major issues in the Midwest. I have actually led the ticket uh, in my state, but a state that's purple, uh, where I have won every place, every race, every time. I have won... Every uh, congressional district, including Michelle Bachman's, three times in a row. I have won the counties. I have won the congressional districts where Donald Trump won by more than 20 points. Uh, And I have not done it by selling out. I've done it by going to where people are, by being honest with them, by looking in the eyes, by being blunt and telling them and listening to them and coming back with solutions. And it was pointed out in my introduction. As a result, I have passed over 100 bills uh, where I have been the lead Democrats through some pretty gridlocked times, and these were not volleyball resolutions. Um, the uh, second thing um, about me, as I'm a woman, uh, I like to say, may the best woman win. Um, I think we saw in 2018 that women were allowed to, uh, when they were running, they were able to win in some uh, really, really hard districts. I personally think the politician in America uh, that that has most gotten under Donald Trump's skin uh, happens to be Nancy Pelosi, who happens to be a woman. All right. So I just look at those factors, and I think that's uh, something you asked what differentiated me from the vice president. Um, And then I think the rest of this um, and issues and things will be left for the debate stage with many to go. I was pleased yesterday. I got my final poll, so I'm qualifying uh, for the fall debates uh, based on the polls. And then um, thank you. you. So that'll be good.
0: You're a former prosecutor. Do you think Vice President Biden's support for the 94 crime bill should be a problem? I think it's
1: something... That he is explaining and will continue to explain. Um, and I think he's started doing that. I think that, um, and a bigger, to pl- take this to a bigger place, so we're not just spending this entire election relitigating the past. Um, I think records are important, and I think that you should, um, in my case, I'd make uh, the argument that the fact Uh, that I have gotten bills passed, that I've worked across the aisle very successfully, uh, that I'm someone that has a respect, I'm in leadership uh, in our party in the Senate. Um, I think those things should matter. And along with that comes explaining votes, right? And explaining why you did things or if you would change it today, that's all fine. But I think what's most important to the people of this country is a positive economic agenda going forward. And that, of course, includes criminal justice reform. I view it as an economic issue when you are leaving people out of their economy uh, if they've gone away for so many years that they're not part of, not just part of their families, they're not part of the economy. And that's why I was a strong supporter of the First Step Act, along with a number of the uh, current senators who are running, uh, which reduced the sentences for nonviolent offenders. I did that, came into that as a prosecutor. Uh, which I think is a helpful view to have to have hear a former prosecutor say, this isn't right, we need to change it. I always used to say we're, uh, we like to be a business when we're prosecutor's office and that we want to be efficient and be accountable for our sentences, but we're not a business in a very important way. We don't like to see repeat customers, okay? And that means you have uh, drug treatment available and mental health treatment, and you look at things in terms of how do you prevent crime and stop kids from going down that road to begin with when they interact with the system. So I have very strong feelings about this. Um, I think we've just begun with the First Step Act, and we have to move to the Second Step Act, since 90% of the people incarcerated are in local and state uh, facilities, and I think I'm actually a good person to do that. A number of my colleagues have worked on that on this, and so one of my funniest let's things. Stay, let's stay with the. But I just say one of my funniest things on that debate stage is when these guys keep going, "I'm the only one on the stage that has done this," and I felt like going, "I'm the only one on the stage that announced in eight inches of snow, okay, with half of it on my hair." So anyway, there are a number of us that feel strongly about this, but I think having a former prosecutor do it is interesting.
0: One of the former prosecutors you're running against, Senator Harris, as a prosecutor once threatened criminal charges against parents of truant students. She's had to answer to some critics of her record as a prosecutor. When you look back at your tenure as a prosecutor in Hennepin County, do you have any regrets looking now at criminal justice reform and the way things are moving away from mass incarceration, towards helping out those who are nonviolent drug offenders. Do you have any regret about what you did as a prosecutor?
1: Okay, first of all, just to give a sense, I think sometimes people think you're like uh, some Perry Mason case with like one case. I had tens of thousands of cases. I think we had about 15,000 cases a year. I had 400 employees there. Really proud of our office. Um, And and just as a side note, we did not use um, criminal penalties in uh, those kinds of child support cases. Um, um... no they were truancy cases right in those truancy cases we did use them in some child support cases but we did not use them in truancy cases um, the um, when i first got into the office uh... the number one demand and ask from leaders in the african-american community and from people in the neighborhoods uh... was that we take on some of the cases of their babies and their kids who had been shot by gang members, basically, and that had just been sat dormant. Um, And they felt it was unjust uh, that those cases weren't being handled. In some cases, the cops hadn't even found uh, the perpetrators. And so we took on a major effort uh, with billboards. I remember in the case of one little boy, Byron Phillips, who was shot on his front porch um, in an African-American neighborhood. And we found the guys that did it, and we prosecuted and sent him to jail. Taisha Edwards, a little girl that was doing her homework at her kitchen table, sweet, sweet child, just home doing her homework so that they could go to the mall later on or something. And gang members shot through her house and killed her at her kitchen table while she was doing her homework. We went after those guys. They went to jail. But let me go to the regrets. So I just want to make that clear. I think people have to understand that I'm proud of the work of our office, and we did some really good things. We worked with the Innocence Project, asked Barry Sheck. We did DNA review of all our cases. We actually instituted a new way to do eyewitness ID, and I had good relations with our community because of that. Back when I was there, um, a few things. One, is the federal sentences continue to be an issue? I wasn't doing the federal sentences, but you know, I wish at that time that I'd advocated for more changes to federal sentences. Um, I think the second thing, and I was outspoken on like assault weapon ban and those things, but I wish we were able to do more as prosecutors uh, to make changes back then on the gun laws. Third thing is we use grand juries for police shootings. That was how everyone did it in our state. Uh, The thought was, well, you want the community to make the decision, so it doesn't look like you as a prosecutor are making the decision and are somehow tied in with law enforcement and so you're not being fair. Um, When I look back at that now, that's changed. And so in our state and some of the major jurisdictions, not for every case, because there can be more cases where the results are a little more obvious, I think, Um, But I think that it is good to take responsibility for those decisions yourself, uh, rather than giving them to a grand jury. So that's something that I would have changed.
0: When you're speaking to communities of color on the campaign trail, is there anything you could, you have a strategy or a way to reassure them that you're not just a prosecutor who was tough on crime and maybe tough on their communities?
1: Um, well, first of all, I, I, I led with what I believe. At the time, we had a major problem with not getting enough resources and help to those communities. Um, and, I'm again, I don't really shy away from the fact that we did that. Minnesota's sentences, we don't have the death penalty, uh, which is a good thing. I do not support the death penalty. Um, and we have been very good about trying to get people treatment, and I think all that's good. It's a, a model nationally. Uh, but like everywhere else, uh, there's, we had racism, institutional, and still do institutional racism in our system. So uh, what I assure them is that I will continue um, to tr- uh, trumpet this cause and take this cause on. Um, actions speak louder than words with the uh, First Step Act and some of the work that I've done, leading funding on the federal level for drug courts um, and leading efforts to have um, our system work better. Um, and I think you talk about that, but I, honestly, that is an issue, but it's also economics that you hear a lot from our communities of color. <laughs> um, thank you. Moms and dads, men. they want their kids to do better. Uh, they want to be able to have good schools to send their kids to. Uh, they want to be able to have them have good jobs, right? And so just to talk about Uh, race issues in the box of criminal justice, I don't think does justice um, to our communities of color. So it's really important to extend the the discussion out to economics as well as voting rights uh, and some of the other issues.
0: You have a 100-day plan to take many executive actions if you're elected president of the United States. Senator Warren, one of your competitors, is out there with many plans. Mm -hmm. What do you make of her many plans? (laughs)
1: Well, I think, again, and I really mean this, I, um, I came into politics um, through, I first got involved in a, a, a sort of a nonprofit thing we had where we were coming up with ideas, and we put something out called Idea News, because at the time, our party felt uh, like it was lacking in ideas. Um, and I strongly believe in a lot of ideas, and I put a bunch of my own plans out. But one thing that differentiates me is that I don't just have plans, I have Deadlines, right? What does that mean? Um, That means that our country is going through, I believe, a crisis of our democracy. People feel left out. Uh, They feel like they've got a president that wakes up every day and sends a mean tweet and directed many times at them. Um, And they want to see it change immediately. Uh, And that you can't just have long-term plans that'll take years to get done or not get done at all, that you have to jumpstart this democracy. I likened it to the first person uh, that we know of, a president that put forward a 100-day plan, and that's Franklin Roosevelt in 1933, because he understood that you need sprints, but you also need marathons, right? The sprints are what completely changes the dialogue, uh, which means, of course, no mean tweets, reassuring our allies. There are things that you can do that are legal that you don't need to go to Congress to get done signing us back into the international climate change agreement that can be done on day one um, bringing back uh, the obama clean power rules that so was years of work went into that and trump just left them on the cutting room floor the gas mileage standards and then of course working on sweeping legislation closing the boyfriend loophole which is a bill i've been leading forever but a president can do it herself that's where with domestic violence cases uh, if you have Uh, been convicted of a serious domestic violence case against a um, wife or a husband or someone you live with, then you can't get a gun. Big loophole. If you're dating someone, that's okay, even though half of the domestic homicides involve dating relationships. Um, So that's a good example of a change I made. Anyway, I have over, look at our website, amyklobuchar.com. I have over 130 things uh, that you can do in the first 100 days. And I think it gives people hope that you can see some immediate change.
0: Do you support decriminalizing unauthorized border crossings? No, I've made that uh, clear that I think we
1: need to look at that law, but that I do not support getting rid of that entire law. Uh, Because I think this is all comes down to enforcement. And you may have cases uh, involving um, security uh, where uh, you would want to be able to have the tool of that law. Uh, but I would certainly greatly, and you can do this in the first 100 days, I would greatly change these policies um, and the enforcement emphasis and on um, not separating kids from their families and um, the closing these private prisons like the one that I visited in Homestead, the Homestead one in Florida. Um, I would do this. Um, in those first 100 days, I would stop these actions against DREAMers, the two million people in our country that came here through no fault of their own, uh, and work to get them on a path to citizenship. I would assure the people who are here on temporary status, who came here legally, like the Liberians in my state, who have been here for decades working in our hospitals and our nursing homes, uh, that they get to stay, barring uh, some reason they need to get deported because of illegal activity. Um, I would then work on comprehensive reform, and I have pledged to get it done for the first year. I have worked on this issue in a big way twice. Ted Kennedy asked me to be part of the group with Lindsey Graham that worked on it when I first got to the Senate. We got close. This is under President Bush's leadership. He wanted to get it done. What about Then again, we tried it with Obama, and we passed a bill in the Senate with bipartisan support. That bill would have brought the deficit down by $158 billion. Why is this relevant to the border issues? Think of that money. We could use a lot of it toward deficit reduction, but a portion of it, and it would only have to be a small portion of 158, could use for targeted border issues and to ramp up our personnel on things like asylum cases. I would immediately change the policy so that you could seek asylum in those three northern triangle countries. And you could use some of the money to work with our allies to. Um, improve the conditions in those countries, make their economy work better so we wouldn't see this flow of people seeking asylum. Those things are practical solutions. The president knows this. He could have been a Nixon goes to China, but he chose instead to chant at rallies and to invigorate his base because he doesn't want to piss them off. And that's what this is about because there are plenty of Republicans that want to move on immigration reform, but they are afraid of this guy going after them
0: and the president's focusing on immigration, and his voters are, do you support sanctuary cities?
1: Yes, I have supported that. This is based on my own law enforcement telling me um, that um, they want to be able to, in my own experience in it, Uh, that they want to be able to protect people uh, when they're victims of crime. Now, that being said, of course we should deport people who are convicted of serious crimes, who are security risks, right? That I strongly believe, Um, and I was in in law enforcement. We saw that happening, and that should happen. However, however, I will never forget the case of a little girl. She was 15 when this happened, and her uh, minister at her church uh, was basically raping her, preying on her. And his claim to us um, when we were prosecuting the case was that he didn't know that she was 15 years old, right? That's what he said. He thought she was older because she had put a wrong age on a job application, and he used that as a defense. While this was going on, um, there were threats that they were going to go to uh, basically uh, go to the feds to get her deported, right? And get her mom deported. Um, And now there's protections in law, so that can't happen. But they were doing that, and we didn't know what was going to happen to her. We found a video uh, with the major, you know, call it the celebration um, when kids turn 15 in the Hispanic culture. There was a video. And it was when he was having sex with her. And it said 15 on the back, on the church, on the thing. That was a smoking gun, so we got to prosecute that guy and convict him. But those are the cases, you understand, that if you can't protect victims just because uh, they are from another country um, or are undocumented, then they're going to be preyed on even more.
0: We only have a few minutes left, Senator. Uh, just a lightning round here. Would you lightning f- round. Oh yeah. Do okay, you let me support? Just drink it?
1: my water in a Marco Rubio fashion. Right
0: it's not a small water bottle. We avoid having that to avoid those kind of moments. Okay. It's a nice mug. Yeah, it's very nice. Can I keep it though? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have to follow an ethics? Do you like form how I'm or?
1: avoiding the lightning round with various techniques? No, I'm kidding. I'm do kidding. You, I'm not avoiding the lightning. Do
0: you support the emerging debt limit deal, extending it for uh, the budget for two? Well, years? I
1: hope we can negotiate something. I have uh, voted for. Uh, debt-limit agreements before, because we don't want to put our uh, country at chaos. Uh, but I think it's very important to um, allow the negotiation. And I know, um, being in leadership, I know that's continuing. I haven't heard an update this week. Uh, but last week, I talked to Senator Schumer about it. And I know that those, as well as Speaker Pelosi, that those are those agreements are uh, being negotiated.
0: You're on the Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. Who on the current Supreme Court is most aligned with your judicial philosophy?
1: Uh, well, I don't, I think about judges as in a separate category from politicians. I really feel strongly about that and that you have to put up names immediately, I will, of people, not going to give you names.
0: I didn't ask for names, just on the current court, no, just no, so people no, I get know. a sense well, of Well, I your, think I, I, I
1: am very, I'm, I, I love this, like picking your best friend at a slumber party, you know, I, <laughs> I, I um, people am People want admirers. to know where no, and, and by the way, Justice Stevens, could I say, uh, may you rest in peace, a good example of someone Uh, who was appointed in a time when things were different and then evolved over time in terms of his decisions. And you want that in a judge. Um, And what I'm very concerned, you know about my major role during Justice uh, Kavanaugh's uh, hearing. Um, I'm very concerned about putting judges on there who are so rigid in their beliefs that they won't change over time. But of course, I I love the work that uh, Justice uh, Kagan is doing and um, uh, and Justice Sotomayor only because I was involved in their confirmation hearings. I, um, um, Justice Breyer and his opinions on the death penalty are important to me. Um, and then, of course, how can you last me I thought you'd leave, just start with Stephen. Justice Ginsburg, the notorious RBG. My daughter once had a photo taken at an event where I got some award of some kind uh, with Justice Ginsburg and me and my daughter, and she was like... 18 or so that night she came to me and said mom i want to put this photo up on my facebook page do you mind if i uh crop you out uh because uh justice ginsburg is so cool
0: she'll regret that if you're elected president (laughs) so uh the, the debate stage you're going to be on the debate stage this fall for multiple debates what's your plan to break through um uh well um
1: i will first of all i'm going to continue to do what i did in the first debate whether breakthrough or not i believe that those debates are a moment in time where it's not just our democratic base uh, but it's also republicans and independents that are watching those debates uh, so you have a job of showing how you're going to be as a candidate uh, which is using uh, uh, the moment to advance an optimistic a positive economic agenda for this country. They're not just looking uh, to get rid of the guy, although a lot of people are, they're also looking for what you're gonna do as president and a contrast to President Trump. I was shocked on our debate stage uh, that more people didn't do that. I mean, I was able to talk about how his economic plan for the middle class and most of us has been all foam and no beer. Uh, I was able to talk about how he's been conducting foreign policy at 5 a.m. in his bathrobe you know i but think is it
0: enough to run against president trump at it this is point,
1: important don't you have to run against your other de- uh, yes. fellow democrat there will be moments in this debate uh i understand that especially looking at my debate one night i'm again debate one um and um and where you're going to be able to differentiate i did some of that i talked about in the first debate how i was concerned about the free college proposals Um, that um, allow wealthy families to be able to have their kids go to college for free. I think the money should be focused on everyone else uh, that need the help, and I put my idea forward on Pell Grants, um, and also, which we already talked about today, um, differences on health care and how we proceed there. Uh, But I will remind people, and I will do that and make a point of it, I always have, but what unites us as a party is still much more important uh, than what divides us. So I think that point is going to have to be made. But you're right, that's what debates are for. I was particularly happy to see uh, that I wasn't on the stage with every giant uh, height wise, <laughs> um, which I was in the first one. I had, I think, five men over six foot two. Who are you next to now? Uh, someone noted that that means I'm more grounded when I was the. Uh, um, <gasps> but I was, I'm, I'm the average so, height for a woman. Do you know I'm who five you next to four, this time? And I looked like a shrimp up there. I like I'm the average height. Uh, yes, I'm going to be next to. I'm going to be. Let's see, next to Ryan, who's tall. He's really Tim tall, right? Ohio. And then uh, Mayor uh, Budicic is, is going it to, be to be. Is it enough to be South
0: Bend Coast. mayor? To, is that enough experience
1: okay. to be president? That'll be something we can discuss at the debate. I think so. Are you saving anyway, it for the debate? I think, I think you can come. From many,
0: Midwestern competition. I think you can
1: come from many different backgrounds, um, and I think that that is important. And we've had presidents that have. Come from all different backgrounds, like the current one we have. He didn't have a lot of, he did not have a lot of experience in Washington, um, and but I do think I will make the case that um, having some experience and having um, um, getting things done does matter. And I know that's not a cool thing to say right now, uh, but I think it should be, um, and I think that matters, um, and I think it's important to. Um, look at candidates not just based on what they say and what they promise. Uh, this is a country of hope, not false hope. Uh, it's not just based on what they promise, uh, but also what they can show that they've actually done. I do think that matters. Final and qu- it matters to voters in this election. They want to make sure that you're going to be able to make the case against Donald Trump, which I think needs to be made with that optimistic economic agenda, by ignoring him at times, and also by using some humor against the guy. Okay? He uses humor, and, and you guys maybe don't think it's funny. And I don't always think it's funny, but he does that. And to point out the absurdity, you have to be able to go with the punches. Uh, so when he, I announced, and he made fun of me for talking about climate change in a blizzard, and he called me Snow Woman, which I thought, well, this works pretty well in New Hampshire. But when he called me Snow Woman, I wrote back, uh, Donald Trump on Twitter, uh, the climate change science is on my side. I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. (laughs) So, you know, I think using those kinds of approaches, being blunt, being tough, being honest, is going to matter in this election. And that's what people are looking for in a candidate.
0: Final question. And really appreciated this conversation. A Minnesota question just based on news this morning. The New Yorker has a new story out about former Senator Al Franken taking a a new look by the reporter Jane Mayer at the allegations of uh, sexual harassment against the former senator. Would you support a political comeback by Senator Franken?
1: Okay, um, uh, that is, that's gonna be uh, his decision, but I think he's made it pretty clear to me that's uh, not what he plans right now. He started a, um, a podcast and he has um, um, been working hard. He helped a tribal school in a big way, um, which is something he really cares about recently in our state. Um, I think I have made it clear, I have not read this article, um, uh, but I have made it clear that, um, it's the historical record that, um, we are friends. I did not call for him to step down publicly. Uh, but I did feel, I did condemn, uh, his behavior, but I felt strongly that it should go through the ethics process, um, that that was the right place for it to go. And at the time, Senator Isaacson. Uh, had announced that process. And every workplace should have a process uh, when um, when claims are made. And there are some that are so egregious, um, which we know of, uh, sexual assault claims, other things, that immediate action must be taken. In the Senate, that process was the ethics process. Um, and so I have been very clear about my views on this. But no, I have not talked about him having a political comeback. I do think that he's I'm going to continue to do good work, and that is his plan now, and it's just going to be uh, through uh, different ways, including this podcast that he's put out. So, all
0: right. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar, okay. and thank you for joining us here thank at you. Washington Post Live. really appreciate it. Another great conversation. Right. Thank you so thank much. You. Appreciate, appreciate, it. It. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from
1: this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.